You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the war, 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 all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another rousing edition of the Views from Midstreet podcast, your home for all the Carolina Panthers talk that you can handle and a little bit more. We are glad to have you along for the ride as always. My name is Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show in Greenville, South Carolina, right here in the heart of Panther country. And of course, joining me as always on the other side of the debate forum he is the great one my co-host my partner in crime Lonzo Reitzel here as well as we get you caught up on a Monday afternoon and of course ordinarily today would be the day that we took a look back at the weekend that was in Carolina Panther football but no weekend that was because the Panthers played and won 25-15 last Thursday night over the Atlanta Falcons We're going to break down the breakdown of that game. We've also got a handful of other topics to get into. Ow! Ow! Sorry, high ankle sprain. Oh, okay. It was the the old delayed high ankle sprain. Yeah. It happens. Yeah, sorry about that. The delayed high ankle sprain will now sideline Lonzo for likely four to six weeks. Uh, He will hold up on the bench alongside P.J. Walker, who will now be taking a seat back on the pine with a delayed high ankle sprain, Steve Wilkes said. And and you watched uh, the pressers, though, but it sounded like this was an injury that uh, at least partially occurred in that game Thursday or perhaps in practice the last couple days. I don't think we know exactly yet. That I have seen exactly where it happened. Uh, if I recall, Steve said it happened during the game, but he toughed it out and he went back in there and then no one heard anything about it. No one saw anything. No one thought, Hey, he looks a little gimpy. I don't remember him went uh, limping around, but you know, I mean, tougher guys, not like me. Cause Oh man, my ankle hurts tougher guys. You can't, you can't tell they got, they got an injury. He turned that limp into a pimp and no one knows what's going on. Everything's good. Get your pimp walk on. Uh, not the way PJ Walker would have wanted to hit the pimp shuffle, but he is out for the foreseeable future, which means return of the bake. Baker Mayfield will get the start this on the road at Baltimore. And Sam Darnold will move into the backup quarterback role, which uh, if we're being... 100% honest here. If we are keeping it a hundred 
as the kids say, I think was the eventual and inevitable conclusion. You go back to that win over Atlanta last Thursday. It's not like P.J. Walker had the best week. Uh, We won that game, as we have mentioned multiple times, because we were able to run the ball for 232 yards in an NFL game. P.J. 10 of 16, a buck of eight, no touches, no picks. It was the definition of a game manager. And now we get to see exactly, Zoe, what I've wanted to see for the past three weeks. We saw the resurgence of TMJ, of DJ Moore, of PJ Walker. Now we get to see if Baker Mayfield sands Matt Rule, sands the offensive scheme that Matt Rule forced us to run. We get to see if Baker can open it up a little bit. And, you know, I'm, as a radio analyst, unsure if Baker is going to look different now than Baker looked a number of weeks ago. The last time we saw him as a starter, As a Carolina Panther fan, I'm really hoping that it is one more occasion, though, to say Matt Rule screwed all this up and Baker's going to come out and be the Baker Mayfield we hoped it would be. If we end up turning a fifth rounder for us, for Cleveland, into a fourth rounder because Baker kills it and he ends up starting the rest of the ride, I'm A-OK with that if we determine that Baker might be a guy that is capable of carrying this team but i'm gonna need to see a hell of a lot a hell of a lot out of baker before i go okay let's go ahead and bump up that draft pick to cleveland to let him continue unless he for sure earns another year on that contract you know rob the last time we saw baker was not the last time he started the last time we saw baker was against cincinnati and he drove them to three touchdowns that's the baker that i want to see except for a Baker with number one reps, a Baker with a healthy running back by committee because Chuba is supposedly uh, better now, going to be able to get some more reps behind Foreman, a Baker with a full retinue of just about everyone he needs, um, and a Baker who's familiar with Baltimore because he played him a couple times every year when he was in Cleveland. So it isn't like he's unfamiliar with uh, their defense or the way they play, or their stadium, or anything like that, as far as bringing in the best guy to play against Baltimore, it's going to be him just from a familiarity standpoint. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. He has been there. He has played uh, at Baltimore a number of times, and now he gets to utilize that experience, experience that not a lot of other guys on this roster have, to give us a better opportunity. And I think you're absolutely right. You go back to that Cincinnati game, and listen – Regarding the 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 mild optimism that Baker is going to step in and be the dude, right? He did come in that Cincinnati game, but I think it's also important for us to remember that at the point that he did, uh, we were in a 35-0 hole at that point, and there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Uh, Baker came in, had a, had a great go of it, and was able to make some things happen for us. But Cincinnati had pulled off the gas quite a bit. They weren't sending as many blitzes. They were a couple of reservists in there getting some XP. It was not a full tilt from the start NFL contest against the Cincinnati Bengals. But, though, I will absolutely take a stretch before a sprint like at Baltimore. 
All right. All right. So I, I get everything you're saying, but also keep in mind, one of the problems that Baker was having was missing open receivers when he was starting, when he was out there playing underneath Matt Rule. He didn't do that last time he was in there. He looked like Cleveland uh, Baker taking him to the playoffs. Baker. That's what he looked like. He was hitting the open guys. He was checking down. He was doing everything that he needed to do. He looked like the Baker we expected to come in there. Now, whether since he backed off or not, you still got to hit that open receiver. And not every one of them were open, whether it was a backup guy in there or not. Um, Because if you could, P.J. never would have left the game, but he couldn't do it. Baker came in and did. I just, I I think we can make all these excuses about why he did so well, but he did well. And he's going to come into Baltimore and not be intimidated by that defense, whereas PJ Walker might be. Ow, oh, oh, oh. I think I, I think I hurt my other ankle. Oh, go rub some dirt on it, pal. We need you. Um, I I am going to, to, I'm going to mildly agree, but I'm also going to say this. Uh, significantly easier to make sure you're hitting the open man, significantly easier to make sure the ball's being placed on target when you're not staring down the barrel of a double blitz, right? And if you go back and watch, and, you know, I know uh, I know, I hit on this pod, uh, on this on the pod last week quite a bit, but go back and watch that Baltimore Ravens front seven on the road at New Orleans. Uh, they were making Andy Dalton's life hell in that Monday night football game. Now the saints went out and got their rear ends kicked by the, at the time two and six Steelers team. So I'm not really excited uh, about comparing ourselves there, but Andy Dalton is, and I may or may not tick some Panther fans off here, but Andy Dalton is every bit the quarterback that PJ Walker is and vice versa. I think they're very comparable in terms of their talent level, ability level, the Baltimore Ravens, we're sending a lot of dudes into the face of Andy Dalton and Dalton never got comfortable. I don't know that Andy Dalton has the wheels to extend a play that Baker Mayfield has, but Andy Dalton was getting bum rushed. Andy Dalton had Ravens in his face over and over and over and was unable to even hit the check downs with any level of consistency it was very nice to see Baker Mayfield. You're right. He was hitting the guys on target. The, the the stride was there. The accuracy was there. But he was doing it against a base defense that was not bringing extra guys. There is a world of difference between being able to do it against a Bengals team not known for its defensive front seven after your team is already down 35 versus doing it from the get-go in the face of one of, if not the scariest front sevens in all of football with Roquan Swift now uh, Smith now patrolling the middle on their turf, in their field, while they are in the midst of a hunt for a divisional championship. Uh, it's going to be a test for Baker Mayfield. It's one that if he passes, he's going to earn a heck of a lot of leverage and his ability to maintain that position and to work his way towards getting an extension for next year. And it's one that if he fails, uh, I I think you can go ahead and start kicking the tires on finding out who the next QB is. You know, I hear all that and he could go out there and tear up the world and, and, and beat Baltimore and still not start next week. I mean, we, we don't know. We, we just don't know what it's going to be 
week to week uh, as far as who's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, he could, like I said, he could go out there and have killer stats, and then next week Wilkes could go. You know, it's time to see what Sam Darnold could do. I, I mean, he absolutely could do that. So I'm getting my hopes up for one game. And again, this is you talk about you you brought in uh, New Orleans and their struggles. Is New Orleans offensive line as good as the offensive line for the Carolina Panthers? I don't think so. And the Panthers held their own against Cleveland, which has a very good pass rush, a healthy one when they played them because it was the very first game. And did they get through some? Yes. But uh, if the Panthers played Cleveland right now, I doubt they would the way they did that first game. I think they're going to be able to handle that rush. And I think it's an experienced guy back there who knows how knows what to do against this team in that stadium. Let's uh, let's segue this. So so you end up with PJ Walker getting a high ankle sprain that is going to keep him out for some length of time. Be careful, Let's, Rob. Be careful, man, because because you could bump something over there where where you're at. You uh, right now, my too. ankles are fine. Uh, it's, okay. it's 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 day to day. It's minute to minute, but they're fine right now. Uh, PJ gets a high ankle sprain. Baker returns from injury just in time to take over against Cincinnati to be available against Atlanta and now to start against Baltimore. Of course, that is coming off of an injury, a high ankle sprain. And sitting in a backup position behind Baker Mayfield this weekend is, of course, going to be last year's starter for the most part, Sam Darnold. Of course, Sam had to take some time to get himself healed up and ready due to the injury of... A high ankle sprain, ladies and gentlemen. That is correct. Well done. 15 points if you got that correct. Um, All three quarterbacks have suffered a high ankle sprain. All three quarterbacks have suffered a high ankle sprain at the bank. Now, this is very interesting because there has been a call from NFL players lately, and we uh, we got the update regarding DJ Moore who said that the players got together and had a discussion and told David Tepper that it would be their preference that the bank go back to using turf, to using natural grass, to using a traditional field, as opposed to the the synthetic turf that is down on the bank right now. There are also calls from players around the rest of the league. Now, this is very interesting, Lonzo, because I read it earlier in the week, and uh, I am not a turf expert, nor am I uh, a scientist, though I do like me a little science. Uh, the NFL put out a study, and so therefore take it not with a grain of salt, but with the entire shaker. But the NFL put out a study that says they looked into the injury rate on synthetic turf versus natural turf and said that there is not a higher rate of injury playing on artificial turf that is greater than playing on natural turf. But there has been an increased call to return as many fields as possible to playing on natural turf around the league from players because they feel that they do get injured more on a traditional, or excuse me, on a routine timeline than they have in the past playing on natural grass. I have not seen, and this is not to say those numbers aren't out there right now, 
but I have not yet seen anything that directly links a rise in injuries uh, to the turf. I will also say that there were a couple of pictures floating around uh, of the, the injury, the hit by the Falcons on PJ Walker that a lot of folks suspect led to the ankle sprain. Uh, Listen, if I'm David Tepper and the players come to me and say, Hey, we want to go back to grass, right? We want to go back to turf. We don't want to play on synthetic turf anymore. I'd probably do it just to boost the goodwill of the players, right? My goodwill with the players. Uh, I am intrigued to see with the NFL coming out and saying there's no correlation between artificial turf and injuries. If there are any league wide consequences, but it is an interesting conversation going on when the players are saying to owners, Hey, we feel that this is best for us and a direction that we would like to move in predominantly here for me, Lonzo to see if David Tepper makes that move in order to kind of maybe extend an olive branch to the players. Yeah. So I've been scanning around looking at all this stuff and they came across the Kelsey brothers talking about this and that's, you know, a Kansas City player and and a Philadelphia Eagles player talking about it. And when Travis Kelsey is talking about how it feels like falling on concrete, how it hurts worse, how it makes every bone in your body hurt, and the way the NFL caters to their players to a degree, which they should in this case because their bodies are on the line, if the players prefer it, whether the numbers bear out or not, they should go to all grass. Have you ever played on a, on a turf surface or anything like that before? There definitely is a difference between that and grass. Grass, the ground is a lot more softer. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I, you know, I've in this job, obviously, I've been fortunate to travel around and go into different stadiums and and you know be able to walk fields and and throw the ball around in different NFL and collegiate stadiums. And yeah, it's 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 for sure. It's a lot. Uh, it's a, it's a big difference. Like. Uh, for instance, when I was broadcasting down in the Florida Panhandle a number of years ago, uh, I got to travel to New Orleans for a Saints-Panthers game and actually watch the game down on field level. But I got to go in uh, the day before the game and watch them prep the field. And one of the things that I noticed that kind of blew my mind a little bit when they were laying the artificial turf down in the Superdome for a Saints game, Lonzo, was – it goes directly down over a concrete floor, right? Like it's like concrete and then they lay the turf down and the turf has a minimal amount of a, a, a base pad to it that the artificial turf comes out of, but it goes directly down on concrete. And I kind of had that thought, right? Like I had that thought of when these guys get lifted up and slammed into that, I mean, how, how much could a, a, an eighth of an inch of padding on the bottom of that turf how much of a difference can that make between it and the concrete floor? And if you've ever walked, it feels like walking on slightly padded concrete. Um, you know, it, obviously in places like New Orleans and in, in Minnesota that are inside, they can't really do anything about it there. But it'll be interesting to see what they do in open air stadiums that have turf and in stadiums that have the retractable roofs if this starts to see uh, a shift in the NFL trying to accommodate the players a little bit, or if they just kind of tell them as they have in the past, Hey, it is what it is. You're just going to have to deal with it.
The Views from Midstreet Podcast rolls on, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, wherever major podcaster found you will find the views from Min Street podcast. My name is Rob Brown, the great one, Lonzo Reitzel, your host. Do us a favor. If this is your first time listening to the pod, if you have just discovered us, do us a favor. Go click subscribe and go hit the little bell or the little heart or whatever it is that you click on the podcast provider of your choice so that you are notified every time another episode drops of course we've got today we've got another pod dropping on wednesday wednesday's pod will be a lot of a a lot of updates a lot of midweek updates as we steam towards the weekend and then friday's pod obviously will be our pod where we will preview this week's matchup against the baltimore ravens couple of other bits of news and notes that i wanted to get so uh dante jackson is headed to the IR. Dante has got a torn Achilles, and that obviously is going to wrap up his season, unfortunately, uh, which is too bad. Dante Jackson uh, has been good. It's a a season-ending injury, and the unfortunate part, aside from the fact that Dante Jackson is obviously going to be getting himself ready for uh, our return next season, it leaves our cornerback position really thin at this point. We are now in a spot where you don't have a lot of depth at that position already. It's a spot we've had some injury concerns for previous guys. Uh, You got CJ Henderson, who is likely going to be moving into a starting role now alongside JC Horn on the other side. And CJ has been questionable in a lot of spots this year has given up some big plays. Uh, it, it, it is going to add, I think a little bit of pressure specifically on to obviously on Henderson, but on woods on Hartsfield when he gets back on Jeremy chin to kind of help the cornerbacks out and not be able to play as free as the safety spot. I mean, it's great to have JC on one side considering how good, how good he's been, But Dante going to IR is a blow, frankly, Lonzo, at the one position that I don't think we could really afford another season-ending injury. All right. This was also addressed in the Steve Wilkes press conference, and he said they're going to be looking to to, uh, maybe bring some guys in. I don't know who's available at this point in the season, um, but um, they're going to be looking there. And also Jeremy Chan, I think, is, is one week away. So uh, he is on the mend. He's out there, should be back soon, but probably not this week. It is, uh, it's going to be interesting at the cornerback position because, like we said, you got, uh, you got CJ, who is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, uh, but a very average cornerback. All right. Definition of average. He, he's, he's serviceable. He can do good enough. I just went and I pulled up. Uh, I pulled up the list of players that are available right now at quarterback as free agents. That list is led by 30-year-old Marcus Peters, by 30-year-old Bradley Roby. Uh, there, it's 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 unfortunately uh, not a very good list uh, as of right now. There's just not a lot left. James Bradbury is 30. 
Uh, so it's 29 and a half. John Jones is 29. It, there's not real, uh, not really, pardon me, a lot of guys that jump off the page right now immediately available uh, to be picked up at the moment. So, you know, I, I sure, like you want to bring in guys and there's going to be practice squad guys around the league that you can make moves on, but I don't know that any of them give you any sort of confidence that is going to be any higher than what you have in Henderson right now. Uh, hate it. Hate it for him. The one guy that I'm intrigued to see what he does if he can step up and kind of develop his career a little bit is Tay Hayes. Tay Hayes out of Appalachian State in his second season. Uh, he's only got a couple of tackles on the year, but they haven't really called him into service so far this year. Uh, he ended up with a couple of sack uh, of tackles against Cincinnati. He had one against the Rams a few weeks ago. Most of those have been solo tackles, but he's a young guy out of a smaller college in Appalachian State. And, you know, this is this is Lonzo. This is one of those times to be cliche. Uh, I hate the phrase next man up mentality, right? Because obviously that's how it works. And, you know, if you weren't the next man up, you would be the man. Well, Tay's going to get his chance now to show that he is the guy. But, you know, even if he steps up and, and turns into a playmaker and gives us another option, we're just thin at cornerback right now. And fortunately, we don't have uh, that many more uh, incredible quarterbacks standing between us in the end of the year. But we do have to play that Brady guy again. That's a team with a lead and a half, uh, a, lead, a lead of a game and a half in the NFC South. Uh, we got Lamar this weekend. We've got Geno Smith, who's played some good football down the line. Uh, and we'll see what New Orleans rolls at the end of the year. Uh, you know, this is just a spot we really couldn't afford an injury. And here we are with Dante going down for the year, which is, I, I hate it for him, man. He was having a season and now we're not going to see him again until next fall. See, I know you don't like next man up, but the thing is, uh, unless someone retires, there's always going to be a next man up. And will one of these young guys who gets a shot get out on the field and you find out, okay, maybe there's something more there than what you thought because he's more of a guy who shines at a game. There are people who practice well and there are people who play well and there are some people who do both. But then there's that guy that you don't think can do anything. He gets out there because you have no choice and suddenly you go, why didn't I see that? Maybe I don't ever need to take him off the field again. It could happen. It could It could definitely happen. All right, let me. Uh, I'm going to throw one more out there at nothing. you. Nothing. It gives me. It gives me nothing. You know, it just is no. No positivity at all. I just listen. I it's it's uh, it's silly. Like I said, I I understand the next man up mentality and why it exists. It just it dry. It's one of those coach speak phrases that absolutely drives me up the wall because it, it's it's meant to sound like the next guy steps up and we don't lose anything, right? The next man steps up and we don't lose anything. We're going to be fine. Just the next guy up. It is what it is. Just the next way up. Um, the problem is that if you weren't going to lose anything, if there was no drop off, then you would be split in time, right? Like wait, it just, wait, wait, it wait. doesn't make sense to say, Oh, we're going to be just as good. No, you're not. That's why that guy's a backup. So you've never been the next man up. I have, I have, uh, I have 
in my position, I've covered someone's vacation and then they let them go because I did so well. I mean, I've been in that position before and it's just like you get a phone call like, oh, you're this, you're the guy now. So it can absolutely happen. And maybe it's the case this time. And I we hope did. so. So Rob Brown can come back on this here podcast and go, you know what? I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. Look at that guy go. Look, I hope I'm saying that about Tay. I really do. I hope that in a couple of weeks we look and we go, damn, Tay Hayes was on the set. He was the second string guy. Like he was hanging out back there behind Dante. But Dante was really good. And Tay was about fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed this guy comes in and lights it up. But I believe it when I see it, right? Like I believe it when I see it. All right. Let me get uh, let me get one more thought in here before we take a break. Uh, and come back to wrap up this pod. I uh, I was thinking about, as I watched the end of the San Francisco-Los Angeles game, uh, where I was continuing to uh, LOL at the LOLA Rams, uh, who fell to the 49ers. Uh, this San Francisco offense with Christian McCaffrey, who scored again back-to-back weeks with a touchdown uh, for CMC. I watched somebody on social media ask the question, and I think a very fair one. With the amount of talent that CMC has, why was the Carolina Panther offense struggling the way that it was struggling when they had such a utilitarian playmaker back there in formerly the artist formerly known as 22. And I kind of went back and I watched some of the games from earlier in the season. I went back and watched a couple of the games from early last year before CMC got hurt. And I've got a little bit of a theory about that, which is kind of why I'm interested to see how this offense continues to develop and evolve as we, we move forward in the Steve Wilkes era. And then the, whoever is the head coach next year era. Uh, I think we kind of hamstrung her a little bit. We've seen offenses do this quite a bit, really at every level of football. I kind of think we maybe hamstrung ourselves a little bit, Zoe, and limited what guys like DJ and TMJ are able to do because when you have a guy that's as much of a playmaker as Christian McCaffrey, it becomes very easy to overuse that cat, which may have led to some of the injuries too, It becomes easy to overuse that guy. It becomes easy to kind of start using that talented of a player as a crutch, right? Like you you stop looking for plays around the field because you know CMC is right there and available. Uh, And obviously, the more you lean on him as a crutch in the offense, the more you lean on him as the focus, as the mainstay on the offense – the more defenses are able to cue in on him, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You guys are going to give the ball to 22. We're going to cue in on you uh, to go stop 22 and the quarterback. And when we do, because he is your crutch, you're going to lean more into giving the ball to 22. I think that we kind of hit a spot. And I'll be interested to see, like I said, how this offense continues to develop moving forward. But I think we kind of hit a spot where we were so reliant on that guy that it hamstrung us from letting other guys develop. And if you look at what Kyle Shanahan is doing just the last two weeks with Christian McCaffrey, 
he is far from the only guy getting the ball, right? Like Debo is still getting his snaps out of the backfield. Uh, Elijah Mitchell is still getting plenty of carries for the 49ers. They're still letting Jimmy G get it out to the edges away from Christian McCaffrey. I think Matt Rule and to some extent Ben McAdoo uh, and even Joe Brady to some degree kind of got into a spot where they were leaning on 22 so hard that it limited everything else that we would have wanted and been able to do with the football. And now that that crutch has been taken away from us, now that crutch is gone, we're kind of forced to open up the offense a little bit, Zoe. And, you know, I think you go back to Atlanta with the run game, and I think you see that without CMC, we spread the ball a little bit more. And even though the majority of us still runs to Dante Foreman, Chuba Hubbard when he gets back, the fact that it's not so damn predictable has been a big boost for us. All right, you go. You can go further back than the than the couple you missed. You can go all the way back to to Ron Rivera when when uh, McCaffrey first got there. He slowly became the focal point. Period. And you forget that anybody else is on the team. So yeah, if you're a defense from another team, you're going okay. That's they're just using this guy. If he's on the field, he's getting the ball. We'll just stop him. And we've seen other examples of teams where supposedly that was the case. Look at Kansas City with Tyreek Hill. He leaves. What happens? Everybody catches the ball. And you can go back even further with uh, the Carolina Panthers. I always had a problem with Steve Smith Sr. uh, because it seemed like he was the focal point and that Cam Newton at the time had to find him when other guys were open. So, you know, I think it's it's – not necessarily a bad thing if you're the star, but if you're if you are a star and you get the ball a lot because you deserve to get the ball uh, ball a lot. But I think Carolina just focused too much. I mean, how much of the offense was Christian McCaffrey when he was there? Like 60, 70 percent of the offense. You can't do that with one guy. And you're right. Uh, San Francisco's playing him perfectly. And it is weird that Carolina's playing better without him there. But you know what else we're getting? There's no Matt Rule, and they're actually using more than one running back. And they could have done that when Christian McCaffrey was there because the other guys were there when he was there too. Um, we'll see how it pans out by the end of the year. But it's I, I guess it's addition by subtraction. I hate that, but I guess it is. We will find out because, again, I think the biggest remaining test – uh, is going to be this upcoming Sunday on the road to Baltimore. The best defense we have yet to see. Maybe Tampa continues to, to, to grow and get better, but this Baltimore defense is no joke, and we're really going to get to see a test of it on Sunday. All right, wrapping up the views from Mint Street podcast here on the Odyssey Network. Rob Brown, the great one, Lonzo Reitzel with you. And again, if you haven't yet done so, do us a favor. Subscribe to the views from Mint Street podcast wherever major podcasts are found and make sure that you click the little favorite icon so that you get alerted every time a new episode drops. And if you are enjoying the pod, do us a favor. Share us around within your sir, your social circle, hit your friends, your family. That guy walks around your neighborhood in that Panthers hat every day. Walk outside and tell him about the views from Mint Street Pod so we can all be together in Carolina harmony, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's take a look 
uh, at a couple of other things. I, I wanted to, to throw this out there because, you know, we've talked about PJ. We've talked about Bake. We've talked about Sammy D. And my goodness, no shortage of who should we draft next year in the NFL draft. No shortage of, of speculation about whether it's CJ or Bryce or Will or whoever else might be that dude next year. There's one guy whose name has, interestingly enough to me, been left out of pretty much every conversation of late. And that includes by me. I absolutely acknowledge that I have brought him up a couple of times, yet continued to skip right over the guy. He is obviously out with the injury. He might be available back next year, but Matt Corral getting injured. Matt Corral not able to play this year. What is the future of Matt Corral out of Ole Miss? What is the future of Matt Corral with this program? It's kind of a crap spot that he finds himself in, Zoe, because this would have been an excellent year for Matt Corral to get some XP, to see how the season works, maybe even to work his way onto the active roster and get some PT down the line. But because of the injury, we just have not seen him and have not gotten an opportunity to get that much time with him under center. He is dealing with the list Frank injury. That is a, a kind of an interesting injury and in that it doesn't seem like a whole heck of a lot. There's a lot of guys that have to get corrective surgery for a list Frank and they bounce right back. There's a lot. Drew Brees had it. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of guys that have to get a surgery to heal up a list Frank injury. And they're never really the same. It just kind of lingers. Uh, he is young. He is early in his career that increases the odds that he will bounce back. He's not being rushed along in his progression, both because of the injury and the fact that we have been carrying three or four quarterbacks the majority of the year. And there's not a ton of pressure on the guy, right? Like the expectations that he's going to show up and be the guy aren't there. I'm really intrigued as to what, if any, uh, what if any news we're going to get out of Matt Corral as we approach the draft, Lonzo, uh, or if we are just locked into taking a QB without this cat ever really even getting a shot. So you asking the question implies that maybe you thought he could be the guy eventually, which I never did. And why bring him back now? I mean, there's no point in doing it. You, you bring him along slowly. Even if he was healthy right now, I think, I think you don't bring him back. And the other thing is, who's going to be a coach of this team next year? We don't know. And will Baker be here? Will Will Darnold be here? Will PJ be? We have no idea who's going to be here. So if he's not going to get to play this year, and with that injury, he's not going to get to play this year. There's no sense of bringing him back. You hate that he's an afterthought, but Matt Corral is an afterthought right now. He really is, and, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting spot in that. There's a lot going for him. Uh, there's a lot that sets him up to have a crack at success. But there's also a lot of situations that have nothing to do with him around the Panthers as a whole that may prevent him from ever getting a crack before he actually gets a crack. By the way, that list Frank injury, I was I was thinking about it 
uh, while I was saying it a minute ago, remember the Liz Frank injury, the, the foot injury that Matt Corral has is the same injury that Greg Olson got towards the end of his career and was never really the same after he got it the first down. It slowed him down quite a bit, and he was never really the same offensive tight end before he had to call it a career back in 2018 and then walked away. Uh, so it's 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 not something that is a for granted that he'll be able to bounce back from that and be the same guy. But like I said, he's young. Maybe he'll get a crack. Um, that being said, I, I, I would think that before the injury, if Matt Corral made himself stand out uh, as a guy that was going to create a scenario where we did not need to draft a quarterback next year, he would have already, he would have already been that, right? We'd already seen that. I'm I'm curious as if to as if he sticks around, right? As a backup, if PJ Walker gets released or made a practice squad guy, if Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield don't come back next year. But I think a lot of this, Lonzo, frankly, a lot of this very much hinges on what Baker Mayfield does this Sunday at Baltimore. And if he has a great game, which fingers crossed he does, what he does for the remainder of the year, if he is capable of earning another year and preventing us from feeling like we're obligated to draft a quarterback. I just find it very interesting that we spent a third round pick on a guy and he's not really been talked about at least that often by the organization ever since that. You know, but considering the situation, the quarterback situation right now, and again, we don't know who the coach is going to be next year. If you bring the guy in and and if Tepper gives him the same control that he's given the other head coaches where they can make decisions like this, there's a good shot that none of these guys are going to be here next year. But Corral uh, is the cheapest because he's on a rookie contract. You keep him around because you have no idea what you got with him, and it's cheaper to keep him around. Um, so why not keep him around and maybe draft a quarterback? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. One more story. One more story before we call it a day, because I saw this earlier and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You've got this has got to be a joke, right? How about this? Uh, There is a report out right now, though, that the NFL has sent a memo. CBS reporter Jonathan Jones dove into the league's unsportsmanlike conduct rule with the, quote, application inconsistency, end quote. That's from the memo of judgment pertaining to the on-field removal of helmets, ladies and gentlemen. Check wow. this out. I know. I saved this one for last just for you, Lonzo. Uh, John Jones, after DJ Moore got his helmet, to, well, took his helmet off, and got the 15-yard flag that some people, though specifically and majoritively believe, cost us the game against Atlanta in Atlanta, which, by the way, would have put us one game back of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers instead of a game and a half. A week later, Jalen Ramsey of the Rams was celebrating a game-clinching play over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And after that play was over, on the field, Jalen Ramsey... Pop the lid off, remove the helmet, 
And guess what didn't happen to Jalen Ramsey? No flag. No flag on Jalen Ramsey. So Jones decided to dig into that just a little bit. And he found out that the NFL talked to the NFL officials and basically said, hey, do us a favor. When it comes to the on the field helmet removal, use your head, right? Here's what Jones wrote, quote, as written, the rule which was established in the late 1990s and has since been slightly tweaked leaves something to be desired in these two instances. Officials have been instructed and they were reminded in the past two weeks to use a, quote, heavy dose of common sense, end quote, when applying the rules, drawing from a quote from Hall of Fame official Art McNally. So DJ gets flagged, 15 yards. The extra point in that kick is no good. We get a couple of other boneheaded mistakes and we cost ourselves the game to Atlanta. A week later, Jalen Ramsey picks off, well, one of the Rams picks off Tom Brady. Jalen Ramsey pops his helmet off. No flag in a similar situation. And now the NFL is telling the officials, hey, use a little common sense. Um, It doesn't impact us. It's not going to reverse the outcome of that game. I really just wanted to see uh, if I could get Lonzo's uh, blood pressure beeper to get set off on the air. That's why I brought that up. No, not this time. Uh, Because, you know, what the NFL says, hey, our bad. We should just just shake it off and go, oh, okay. They feel bad about it. It's all right. It's good. We're we're good. You made a mistake. It's all right. Uh, This is another one of those. We're always going to have a problem with this when it's left up to um, the opinion of the referees. Some things are obvious. Some things are not. uh, But common sense? Really? Really? Common sense. Uh, Do they have a test for common sense so we can gauge which referees have more common sense than other common sense? Is it like a test you could take or something? I I just want to know so I can go, oh, we got that dude. He has no common sense at all. We're in trouble. I wonder if the next copy of Madden is going to have common sense rankings for every player and the officials. You can go into the settings and jack up or down the common sense level of the officials within the game. That ought to be great. Absolutely gold. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the Monday edition of the Views from Mint Street podcast. Remember, wherever podcasts are found, you'll find Views from Mint Street. Click that subscribe button and make sure you tag the little bell or the whistle or the heart or the whatever it is so you don't miss an episode, including this upcoming Wednesday's episode. We will drop the next episode on Wednesday. Between now and then, leave us some comments on social media at the Rob Brown Show at Lonzo on word w-o-r-d at lonzo on word and we will pick up the conversation on wednesday lonzo any final words for the people yeah make sure you stay hydrated and be careful because those high ankle sprains can come from anywhere you just walk around a corner boom there you are high ankle sprain look out and of course ladies and gentlemen remember use your common sense that's it for us he's lonzo i'm rob we'll see you back here on wednesday for the next episode of views from mid street keep pounding baby